We, uh, as we're in Habakkuk, this is our third week on it, I believe, and um, you know, you think of definitely, you think, well, this is an Old Testament book, an Old Testament minor prophet book, and we haven't been in the uh, the Old Testament really as much as probably we should be sometimes. Um, we we think of the Old Testament in it being rather. Um, Difficult to understand, but really it's a, as I think I've listened to R.C. Sproul's latest uh, CD that he sends in his little packet, and he called it uh, an autobiography of God. Uh, because in the Old Testament, you really see um, the characteristics of God there. And of course, a lot of people don't like the Old Testament because they think uh, God is a God of wrath there, and then they immediately want to dismiss that and think, well, he's a God of love in the New Testament. Well, you take a look in the Old Testament, you'll see a God of love there, a God of grace, uh, but a God who takes his holiness serious, as he does in the New Testament. But I like the way that he uh, termed that, the autobiography of God, as we see uh, who he is. It's a great picture. So in that volume, uh, that collection of books, uh, we see uh, the expansive view of this great God who is uh, the one that is uh, trying to show who He is to us in, in the Scriptures. So let's go to um, the Lord, uh, the Lord's Word in Habakkuk. And uh, just remember, in, um, in Habakkuk, basically, it has been that he had a question with God. He had more than one question. But uh, he was wondering, what's taking so long? Why isn't he judging the people of Israel uh, for their sins? And at the same time, um, correcting them, reviving them also. Um, I mean, that is what we would want. We would want the church to be that way. We want it to be called to more holiness. But we also pray for this nation. And there's nothing wrong with that. And we know that ultimately it will have to be judged to every nation has been judged and it will continue until Christ comes back. People are judged and we see a God of judgment. Uh, so He wants that judgment to happen, but uh, he, he doesn't really want it the way that God has in mind of, of judging. And so we, we just kind of review that a little bit thinking, okay, He asked the prayer, then God answers it, and then Habakkuk doesn't like that and comes back and says, uh, well, you're going to judge with the enemy of Babylon, the, the worst of all the people. That, you know, they're, they're definitely less righteous than us. We're more righteous than them, even, even with our sins. And, of course, man is man. Sin is sin. And uh, everybody's in that same boat. But so he was saying, why use the wicked Babylonians? And so he prayed uh, that to God and then he said I'll wait for the answer. And so God now comes back and answers the question again which is where we're going to be picking up tonight in chapter 2. Um, but he's he's going to say okay uh, God why are you using them? He's going to say well I'm going to use them but uh, they will be judged too for their arrogance and for their wickedness and for their cruel acts what they've done to other people and how they've done it. They're going to be judged so Habakkuk will get his answer. And then he will come back and we'll see a little bit different Habakkuk in chapter 3. Um, we hope to get into maybe a couple of verses of chapter 3 tonight. Uh, hey, do you guys have outlines? Mm-hmm. Do you hope to have those? Yeah. 
by the way, I, I need to get back to... I'll just let you guys just kind of pass those around. And either those can be helpful or not, but uh, kind of shows where we're kind of be heading. I uh, want to start with the topic of the anger of God, since God answers, and we'll be looking at it in the back of chapter 2, starting at really verse 6 and through the rest of the chapter through 20. Um, and we're going to see that God is a God of wrath. And that's what most people think of when they think of the Old Testament. And um, we, we do see that. Um, people in evangelism today, in our times, like to start off with, God is a God of love and God loves you. But I've never seen that in Scripture of how we are to bring forth the Gospel and first addressing the fact that God loves you. In a sense, yes, He does love people and He has a love for His own much differently than others. But there's another sense where God is very angry. Uh, And that sounds really strange. And I don't want to try to go over the top. I just want to be scriptural and I'm going to uh, give um, uh, quite a few verses here showing that God can be angry and be perfectly right in doing that. Uh, An angry God. It sounds awful, doesn't it? He's an angry God. And that's why a lot of people don't like Christianity. Uh, they, They think of God as being an angry God. And He's going to get at them. But the reason He's angry is because we are sinful and we don't realize the height and the depth, the width of how sinful we really are uh, compared to holy God. If there's anything wrong with gospel preaching today, and there's plenty wrong with it, it's that the anger of God is not preached. The anger of God, the wrath of God, um, really is there because people have broken His law, they've fallen short of God, and they have angered Him because of His great holiness. The gospel that is preached today really doesn't, if it's it's in a watered-down sense, it, it really doesn't wound people. Their, the sensitivity to sin is not really there. Oh, I sinned? Okay. But they don't know how what, what has happened uh, that has made them estrangement from God. So the gospel should wound a person, and that sounds like a strange thing, so that they then can be healed. They need to see what they've done. And... Um, that's why when you look at the Old Testament, you'll see the prophets and they begin with the law. And they begin with God's holiness and uh, His broken law and His anger towards the people. And now, that deal with about anger, let's, let's go through just a few passages. I didn't know how many there were and there's no way I'm going to go through all those verses dealing with the anger of God. We're going to deal with a few of them. Uh, and I think it's rather staggering. It should bring somewhat of a healthy fear um, from us, even, because God does take Himself and His holiness seriously. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 37, now this is Moses, guys. This is Moses. I mean, this is um, a picture of uh, the Messiah in that He was a prophet and a priest and a king. And he says, The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Moses couldn't enter the promised land. You remember him striking the rock twice. 
And he didn't get to enter that promised land. God was angry. Moses became angry, but it was not a righteous anger. God's anger is always righteous, and he was angry at Moses. (laughs) So I think that's rather interesting. Now, go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 8. We'll see how he gets angry at different people. Even at Horeb, Mount Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And the Lord was so angry with you that He would have destroyed you. Wow. That's, that was Mount Horeb. Uh, we're talking, this is the God who had given them the law and revealing themselves. And of course, um, Moses intercede for them. And God's mercy then came. Moses was a great interceder. He was an intercessor, just like Christ. So he's a picture of Christ, a type of Christ. Uh, But he says he was so angry, he could have destroyed you. Wow, it's pretty angry, isn't it? Chapter 9, verse 20, same, same chapter. The Lord was angry enough with Aaron, this is Moses' brother, to destroy him. So I also prayed for Aaron at the same time. I imagine those people were very thankful for Moses, weren't they? For being an interceder? Well, they were at the moment, but at the same time, they would like to have his head, though, too, at times. You remember. But there, God was angry at Moses. God was angry at Aaron. God was angry at the very people that He chose to deliver out of Egypt. That's His people that He's angry with. Hmm. Keep going. Go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. Like I say, I'm just <laughs> we're just going to cover a few of these. Uh, you don't usually think of an angry God, do you? I, I don't usually think of all these passages. Quite interesting. Now, the Lord was angry, 1 Kings 11, 9. You know what? I didn't put these in the outline. That's because I added, this was a last moment thing before I got here. I had some verses for the Lord's anger. And I've got those there, but they don't show the word angry. It just shows what He's going to do. This is using the word anger. Now, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. That's Solomon. The one God granted all the wisdom to. This king, this son of David, literally. And God was angry at him. Moses and Aaron and Solomon, we see here that anger of God coming out. Go to 2 Kings chapter 17. You see what I mean? You don't hear this too much. But um, when people turn against God, 2 Kings 17, 18. Sorry about that. Next time I'll try to run these off at the last minute. You know, sometimes I do that, and and uh, but I ran them off this morning. And, so the Lord was very, oh, there we got something different now, very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. That was the judgment of the ten tribes. And he removed them. He judged them. Assyria came upon them. 
spread them out all over the place, killed many of them. Anyway, he was very angry. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to go to the light-hearted, happy-go-lucky Psalms and <laughs> see if we can find anything about the anger of God. What do you think? You think we can find anything there? In Psalm two two. Two twelve, I'm sorry. Two twelve, Psalm two twelve. Do homage to the sun, or in the I think probably the original King James probably uh, kiss the sun, right? Do homage to the sun, kiss the sun, that he not become what? Angry. And you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. And that's all we take our refuge in him, don't we? And because his wrath is not going to be put on us. But it very well could have if it had not been for his grace and mercy. Uh, kiss the Son. Do homage and worship him. Uh, have submissions to him. Pledge allegiance to this king, right? That he wouldn't become angry. Okay, let's go to Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 is a song. You guys know that one, don't you? I know Penny knows that song, right? And it's all going well and everything. Come, let us sing for joy to the... Matt Papa sings this song, right guys? And a few others. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us... Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are His also. Oh, you're just praising God here, right? The sea is His, for it was He who made it and His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand today if you would hear his voice. Ah, it shifts gears here. Now a warning comes after all this high great praise. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work, all that he had done, and then they tested God. For 40 years, this is God speaking, I loathed that generation. And said they are a people who err in their heart. And they do not know my ways. See, that was what was happening during the day of Habakkuk. This was written during the day of, uh, of David, let's say. Psalms, most of them were written 1000 B.C. Well, 400 years later, the, the nation is doing those same things. Maybe even more. They don't know God's ways. That's the whole thing. Habakkuk didn't exactly know God's ways. I mean, he, he knew righteousness. He, you know, he, he did know God, but yet God is going to show him a little bit more. Therefore, look at this, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter into my rest. That was the people that were out in the wilderness for those 40 years. And uh, so they didn't enter into that rest. I think that's rather remarkable. Chapter 79, verse 5. This is the last anger verse, okay? We could go on for a long time. How long, O Lord, this is a psalm of Asaph, will you be angry forever? 
Come on. Will your jealousy burn like fire? Or will it just keep on burning and going on and on and on and on? Is this going to go forever? God and His judgment. Well, that's just a selection of verses about the anger of God. That's how much He thinks of holiness. And people, when they go against God and turn away, I can't imagine anything more fearful than knowing that God is angry. To to have God angered, I have to think that He is angered at this nation. Angered even at the church. Maybe sometimes angry at each one of us. Now granted, we know He's a God of mercy and a God of grace and a God of love. We know that. That's why I think it's a good thing to keep that balance of the wrath of God and and the anger of God with those. I mean, if you just saw the anger and you concentrated on that, uh, then you're going to see one side of God, but we must know all of it. Or you can take all the love of God, but not recognize the other attributes of God, His justice and holiness and, and those kind of things. And then we must try to keep that balance. It's so important. There's the one that I'm very familiar with. I said I was done, but you don't have to turn to it. But in Psalm 7:11, it says, "God is angry with the wicked." What? Every day. So we cannot start our gospel message to the lost saying how much God loves them and He wants them to join in this kingdom and say, if you want to say this prayer, you can get into heaven. That is the modern evangelism. That's sad. I'm not saying everybody's presented that way, but that is some of the the way it's presented. And that's not the way to begin it. We must show that He is angry. And I know that people aren't going to want to hear that. And it does hurt. It wounds. But if it can hurt enough to where they see that, oh my, I do have a wound here. I've got to get it taken care of. He's the only one. right? Now, um, let's go to Jonah. It's funny, we haven't touched Habakkuk yet. We better hurry up. Well, we'll get out of here and not even touch Habakkuk for the night. Jonah, everybody remembers that little book. And that prophet... He did God's will reluctantly. If God had him do it anyway, and if God wants to do that, He will do it. <laughs> in, in Jonah 1-2, it says, Arise. He tells Jonah this. Go to Nineveh. <laughs> that right there. That, that you know tells you everything. Go to the, the worst nation in the world at that time. You know, and they take little babies and put them up in glass bottles. You know, they kill them and put them up there and put them on display and sacrifices it. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and do what? Cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is interesting. In this section, what you find out that God is very angry with them, but He's going to send a prophet to them to tell them that they are to repent. And if they repent, He will withhold His judgment. And that's what came out. And they were evil like Babylon was evil. Like Babylon is going to come to Jerusalem. And so 
Jonah reluctantly winds up, we know the story, how that goes. But he, he does present that and then he he was hoping that God would not tell them that and that He'd just destroy them. Well, I'm sure Habakkuk wouldn't mind uh, if God would have just gone ahead and destroyed Babylon before they came to Jerusalem. But God says, no, I'm going to bring them on down and I'm going to pretty well uh, do some major damage to uh, the nation, their Judah and Benjamin, uh, Jerusalem, all but destroyed it. Basically, there really wasn't much left. And deport the people, the ones that weren't killed. Um, God was angry. And um, there was a guy by the name of uh, Hamish McKenzie. He said uh, about preaching the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man, God's holy, we're not. He said this, This type of preaching, hell fears it, earth requires it, heaven ordains it, and do you know what I have found in my short lifespan? God blesses it. That's the message that God blesses. They must be wounded from their own self-righteousness. So it's interesting that history is punctuated with the fact that nations who trample time after time upon other nations and countries in the world, trample under their feet men's blood and they underneath their armies, and God will eventually judge them. Woe unto you. And that leads us into our Habakkuk 2, verse 6, which is where the woes go. We have five of the woes, and there are three verses each. So there's like five woes, three verses on each one. And the first one is found in 6 through 8. Will not all of these take up a taunt song against him, even mockery and insinuations against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his? For how long? And makes himself rich with loans? Will not your creditors rise up suddenly and those who collect from you awaken? Indeed, you will become plunder for them because you have looted many nations. All the remainder of the peoples will loot you because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. God is like speaking now to Babylon. He says, okay, here's what you did to the people. Yes, I'm going to use you to judge my people. But then I'm going to judge you because of what all you have done to the people. And then eventually there's going to be some people rise up and get you back for what you've done. So it's like... In a sense, he's comparing them to deceptive money lenders who are heavy with the debts to the nations that they've conquered. And they have conquered so many nations. It's like they've raped and pillaged and ravaged them and, and taken all of their wealth. And so they amassed such a wealth. And God is saying, the debts are going to be collected. Uh, I'm going to collect from you. There's going to be a day coming from all the people that you have robbed and fleeced, mistreated, and all this ill-gotten gain, and that snake is going to come up to bite you. You know, like a like an angry dog that that uh, will come upon them as they have done this. So, you know, and and when you get into verse eight, the judgment on on them is that they will be looted. They will be looted. They've looted other people. Uh, it's like, do you think you're getting away with this? Yeah. You say, well, why would God do uh, do this? Why would He bring such an ungodly nation on His people? 
And he says, uh, well, he's already told us why. Uh, but uh, he says, they're not going to get away with it. They're going to be judged uh, highly. And you can think of the debts that this nation has, thinking of debts. This nation has debts, uh, maybe a national debt you know, we hear about, but... Um, and, and some of this, you know, might, you know, as we look at it, we think of the, the, the divine debt collector. And he will cause a payday. And they will pay back. People may forget, and even in history, people might forget, but God never forgets. Right? As a matter of fact, Numbers 32.23, famous verse. You know what it is yet? You will when you read it. Babylon thought they were getting away with this. They bragged about it. 32.23 But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will what? Find you out. Whether it be nations, whether it be individuals, the sin will be God will expose it. So as great as they were, they didn't last too long. Uh, there were the um, there were the Assyrians, and then along come the Babylonians. Uh, within a couple of centuries, you get the Greeks, or, uh, the Medes and the Persians. They didn't last too long. The Greeks come along. They really influenced the whole world, uh, language and, and such. They didn't really last too long either. Alexander the Great conquered the world. and Then he drank himself to death basically because there really wasn't anything else to do. He's 32 years old. Then the Roman Empire comes. Last few centuries. We know what happened with it. Um, they all pay. Well, that's one thing. Uh, there's another one. In 9 through 11, you get the woes again. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, do you ever see any woes there? Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He talks about the uh, whitewashed tombs and that kind of thought. And that's in the New Testament. That's Jesus. That's that sweet, loving Jesus. Who is sweet and loving, but He also is very holy. Yeah. Oh, that gospel would be taught, folks. Uh, yeah, well, it's first of all taken in context. This is Babylon, and, and as he speaks to them, here's what they do. And of course, Israel was doing the same thing. They were doing this stuff too. But but he's taking as as to them. He's saying, okay, here's what's you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring judgment on you. They're, you're going to get it too. Also, the people of Israel, and then think of any individuals down through history. And even today, right? And if we take advantage, and, and of course, you know, of, of people, uh, believe me, God will judge that. So if anybody's taking advantage of you, be patient. God will judge. The next one is dealing with inhumanity, how they treated people. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to put his nest on high. To be delivered from the hand of calamity, you have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. 
9, 10, 11. They tried to be impregnable. Matter of fact, they had walls around where you could, I don't know how many chariots they said you could run up there on that wall. Was it like, I've heard different stories. Is it like 20? I don't want to be, does that sound familiar, Eldon? There were a lot of chariots. They could like take the Babylonian wall that went around the city. And it was so thick uh, that was like nobody was going to be able to get in there. And they took great pride in that. They had the defense of all defenses, right? And it's like, nobody's going to get us. Well, God can make sure. Matter of fact, they had, they had like wall, it was like a wall underneath the ground where people wouldn't be able to get up underneath the wall and dig in or dig tunnels from out and then go in that way, which people had done before. But it was like, I guess you could say today we'd say there was so much concrete underneath and so thick that nobody could was going to do that but uh, actually it uh, it did happen but they took a lot of pride in all that they were impregnable they were like the eagles uh, way up high you know in another sense as he uses that uh, to put to put his nest on high and what they did is they went around plundering homes and of course remember the the, the israelites were doing these things too so it's it's showing the same kind of people People do it today. Same thing. But they would take people's homes and take the remains of those and they'd even take some of those and take them back. And in in his palace, some of the places where they had plundered had, of course, great valuables, uh, materials. Of course, you can think of the gold and silver. And they would take that and put it in his palace, in, in his house, Nebuchadnezzar, in his place. What an empire that he had. And it was luxurious. And it came from the spoil of the enemies. And so as he had this home, uh, people had stuff taken from them for him to live in this nice mansion. And of course, uh, there's a cry here in verse 11. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall and laughter will answer from the framework. The very masonry, the very timber... Some of the timbers that they had, you know, there in Babylon, they didn't have the wood that uh, maybe you could find in other places. And so they'd bring some of that timber back, and that was within his house. And uh, it was like the walls, they were testifying to the fact of what uh, they had done. It's a cry of multitude of uh, uh, innocents that have cried in righteousness to God. God hears them. God answers. And woe to those who take part in inhumanity. Inhumane things they did to people. Twelve through fourteen builds on that. Yeah, it's all about money. Now, if you looked at some of those doctors' homes, they would probably be very lavish. So they can have more things. Look how ruthless they are in 12 through 14. This is the third woe. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? This is a good one here. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All of a sudden... He's pronouncing judgment, and all of a sudden he just breaks open and gives a little bit of sunshine there, a lot of sunshine. One day the earth is going to be filled, right? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Wow. 
You know how much water is, there is out in covering the sea? <laughs> That's a little picture. <laughs> what, uh, how the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, His glory. They're, they're ruthless, they're despots. He's saying that uh, there's a cup of iniquity here, and Babylon's cup of iniquity is swiftly filling because they're building this great empire, they're building these cities, they're doing it with blood, they're, they're killing masses of people and babies and women and children. And they're establishing this all by their own sin, their iniquity. God knows what they're doing, even though He's going to use them on His people. The, the very riches of the, of the plundering of the cities were used to build Babylon. And all is in vain. You know, they go through the cities and the poor people, rich people, they plunder all the riches from them, the jewels. They, they robbed temples. They robbed um, the temple in Babylon, took back the gold and all the big worship articles and all those kind of things. And uh, they would put it back in their place. And we think of today, we have our great skyscrapers and the beautiful buildings. Nothing wrong with those. <laughs> but at the same time, we take great pride in that in this nation. And um, sometimes that uh, cannot be such a great thing in that uh, the institutions, the government just keep big and, uh, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. None of this was built for the glory of God, was it? And no nations eventually wind up doing that. They, they might even start with that, possibly. Usually not the case. But if it is, it's, it's amazing how far it goes downhill. So he just contrasts what the kingdom that they had with his kingdom you know, after he's seen all this plundering, the wickedness and the violence and the pride. And he says, the earth will be filled. Here's how it's supposed to be. With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now that's filled, isn't it? A knowledge of the glory. We look forward to that. One day it'll happen. There won't be anybody doing injustice and cruelty and no more sorrow or sinfulness. And the Lord shall reign. That's what keeps us going. Because we know that there's something much better than what we have now, even though it's it's sure a great place to give glory to God. And so... Um, even despite all the sin. And I think of Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. Talking about all the kingdoms. All the kingdoms can be set up by men, and they are. They're by men. They're just by men. Daniel after Ezekiel. Daniel 2, 45. After uh, he's shown a picture of all the kingdoms to Daniel. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron and the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Gold was representing Babylon, which is the one we're talking about in Habakkuk. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. That was given to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel interpreted it and showed him that uh, your kingdom and all other kingdoms, they're going to be crushed. And the true kingdom of God will be on total display. Now, His kingdom is already here. And we're in that kingdom. But one day, we'll not see any sin practiced in it whatsoever. And 
we'll see that he, he has he takes all those kingdoms down. And it's the kingdom of God. Next one. Another woe. Is this the fourth woe? Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom even to make them drink so as to look on their nakedness. You'll be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and the devastation of its beast by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town and all its inhabitants. I guess you could say, looks like he's talking about drinking. Uh, you know, you, you can talk about it in a spiritual way um, in the sense that uh, uh Drinking till their uh, their cup is filled with the wrath of God, right? Or you can say in another sense, there was intoxication in Babylon, and that's one of the things they were doing. They were having one of the greatest parties in the world <laughs> there in Babylon as they were being attacked by their enemy. If you remember, as they came through that night, they were having a great time, and. Uh, of course, that's, they rose to power by that. They were, they were proud people. They were very excessive in their drink and uh, drinking problems. Nations have always had drinking problems and when they do, uh, it turns into a, uh, just being overtaken, uh, driven by alcohol. Uh, we see in verse uh, brutish behavior that they had. But it's almost another thing too. It's like um, they mix in their venom even to make make them drink their their enemies drink, or uh, they make them drunk with uh, all the different things that were going on. They'll drink the cup of wrath, and uh, all of them will. You fill my cup of wrath so much, you're going to drink it, my boy. <laughs> you're going to drink it, and you're going to spew it, and that will be the glory that you have left. That's all the glory you're going to have. One more woe. It's idolatry. And that's always the case. Woe to him... Wait, verse 18. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it? It's almost funny here. I think Jeremiah did a quite an expose on that, didn't he? Right? Is that Jeremiah? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood. For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake! <laughs> to a mute stone, arise! Right? This is almost kind of like um, Elijah. Remember Elijah making fun of the false gods? On that mouth. And that is your teacher? <laughs> Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. There's another good thing to end with there. Um, What do you have here? Well, their faith is in their own handiwork. What they made. Look, their great empire. That's idolatry. But then they literally had gods. Whether it be sun god, moon god, uh, stars were gods, planets gods, you, you name it. Animals were gods, calves. Definitely, the, you know, the bulls and those kind of things. Uh, their faith was in that. And some of those things could really look good. 
they can look good on the outside. They can have all the, you know, the, the physical displays. Yeah, people had man had to make them. No life. Man can't make life. <laughs> what man comes up with, right? They're they're overladen with gold, uh, precious things. Look really good outwardly. I'm sure some of those that 90 foot statue that were made must have looked impressive out there in the sun shining on it, and uh, you know no hills. It's all flat. You could see for miles and miles. It must have been incredible as you were approaching that city. This is amazing. People must have bowed down to it. Yes, they did, didn't they? If you didn't bow down to it, you would be in trouble. And we see that in the book of Daniel. So, it's just like the world and all the worldly things, isn't it? Um, All the different kind of things that the world offers that look so good and it sounds so good. No matter what sin it is, self-righteousness, even churchianity, that kind of thing. No matter what it is, it can be nice on the outside, but if there's nothing happening on the inside, there is no breath at all inside it. There's no life. I like what God says in 20, but the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord... (laughs) He is the one who is alive. And they didn't make Him. God is not silent like the idols. The idols can't speak. But God says, let all the earth be silent before Him because He does speak and He's speaking right here. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God is on the throne. Wouldn't you uh, say that would be what's happening here in verse 20? They think they think they're the kingdom. God's on the throne. Well, okay. You remember Habakkuk? Remember he said, "I'll wait for the answer." God just gave him the answer. Wow. So that's what your whole plan is. He starts getting a little different insight here and a different look than he had before. You know, as we seek the Lord. Have you noticed those kind of things happen? We start seeing the Lord in a lot bigger way than we had before. And now our attention is not on ourselves and what's around us, but where is our attention at? On Him. And that's what's happening here. He took His eyes off the circumstances. He submitted to God here in prayer and faith. He's waiting. He waited and then God gave the answer. And then he accepts the word from the Lord and his perplexity. That was what our first uh, study was on a couple of weeks ago. The perplexity that he had. And I think many Americans are perplexed today. Many Christians are perplexed today. And all of us have been perplexed or are perplexed right now. And what do we do? Well, we go to the Lord and we wait. And then we realize some of these attributes. We have seen God in His great holiness and majesty and supremacy and His excellencies, His glory in all of this, haven't we? And Habakkuk starts getting 
a really good view of God. Kind of like what Job did at the end of the book. Travail. Habakkuk actually has travail for what God is going to do. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Lord, I have heard the report about you and I fear. That is good. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He's interceding. He has travail. He has travail for His people. The people that are going to be judged. I ask you this. Can ordinary children, just little, can they be born without pain happening to the mother? Now some do pretty good without much pain. I've heard of some of those stories, but usually that's what God said there's going to be and that's the way it is, Right? The natural world, the natural system is that childbirth brings pain. And we see that a few times, even in the New Testament. Can there be birth without travail? There's going to be some. Without persistence. There has to be persistence in the case of Habakkuk. There is sweat, work, and tears in his prayer because... God is going to uh, make this a harvest, even though it's not going to look that way. It doesn't look like there's going to be any fruit. But the natural world testifies of these things. For there to be something that turns out with some kind of fruit, there still has to be the travail. Um, I think sometimes we we kind of forget that uh, easily. Uh, But nothing is possible without God. uh, I mean... uh, and without travail. We shed the tears and we can have anguish and we can have pain. But, you know, this travail that he has, sometimes we can, we're watching the souls of people who are going to enter into eternity being damned. How much travail do we really have for those people? Sometimes they make us mad the way that they view things whether it be politically, economically, socially, spiritually. seems like everything that we believe in, they don't believe in. But just remember, they do that because they don't know God. And so therefore, if we would have the kind of travail and desiring that God would bring His mercy on those lost people, um, the world around us is perishing. At this moment, right now, the world is perishing. And we must prevail. Prevail. We must we must pray. But we must have the right view of God and uh, Habakkuk getting that. Think of Philippians chapter four, six and seven. Everybody knows it. I don't even know if you have to turn there. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God 
which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Is that a promise? You know, I don't know how many times I have used that verse with people and it always, I don't think, has has ever failed to bring some kind of peace to people. And it's like they, they start calming down. That's right. It's like going right to God. Isn't that the simplest thing to do? But what do we look at? We look at what's happening rather than the just shall live by faith. Faith doesn't see. We can't see those things. But God is working a work that we can't believe. (laughs) You remember He said that already in verse 5 of chapter 1? I'm going to work a work. Matter of fact, He was working the work right then and there. He's working the work right then and right now. All the evil things that are happening. He's working a work. What a God. Boy, you know what? He doesn't want us coming in doubting his power. And I think Habakkuk had a little bit of that. It's like his, you know, why don't you do anything? You know, was, there was some, some doubt that what's going on. But yet he started looking at this holy God and his sovereignty. And God loves to inhabit the praises of his people. Yeah. We praise him in song. Thing earlier, right? Praising Him. And we praise Him in prayers and praise Him in reading the Word and talking about it. He loves that. He loves to come into our lives. He loves to come into our assemblies, Bible studies. He loves to come into our circumstances. He loves to come into the situations that are very difficult. But He likes to come in because we praise Him. feels welcome when we look at it that way. The just shall live by faith. Now that word shiggy enough? We're going we're gonna to cut it and come back next week and find out what that is. <laughs> you know what? Um, most commentators will say, we don't know. Uh, some will take a stab at it. And I think it probably could have something to do, evidently, most of them will say it has something to do with um, music, uh, a musical setting here. This, this is a song. This prayer is. This song that's, that's brought forth. And from verse 19, the second half of it, uh, right at the end of it, for the choir director on my stringed instruments, definitely has music to it there, doesn't it? It's to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. In other words, there's a setting here, a a musical setting, a way that this psalm that had been written by Habakkuk, uh, a way that it ought to be played and and, uh, performed. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So they're going to be singing this in church. (laughs) And here's the way this is going to be done as he puts forth the words. That's pretty cool. I like that. Um, to know as as he gets the answer from God, he's ready to sing now about it. That's really fantastic. He turns, sings a psalm of faith in the midst of all of his sorrow and what's really going to come through. And you'll notice, Lord, I've heard the report about you and I fear. And that is where great praise comes from. If we fear God. 
if we take Him for being that holy God that He is, and granted, we don't, we haven't seen the expanse of His holiness, and it'll take eternity. But the more you know Him and really seek Him out, the more of the holiness that you see. And when God showed Himself to Isaiah in chapter six, holy, 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 as you have the what the seraphim. That's the only attribute of God that is mentioned three times. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, God is a God to be feared. Having that uh, that sense of knowing, yeah, he. He's not just a good buddy. He is a friend. And He is my Father. Um, you know, I'm in His family, but yet at the same time we have to see Him as one who is perfectly holy. In the midst of all the sin, the degradation that was going on there in His own country, punishment is getting ready to come soon. He's going to trust His God. And the reason he can do it is because he fears God. Lord, I, I've heard the report about you. I know about you. I know you. And I know what you're doing is right. I didn't understand at first. I had all these questions. <laughs> Boy, does this speak to our times? Does it speak to us individually? This this is not an old book, is it? It's 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 just as current as can be. Revive your work in the midst of the years. He knew God's fame. I've heard the report about you. I've known about it. Look in Psalm 44, and we'll get ready to close here. You know what? Make God famous in your life. Make Him famous. I like that um, Sergey from Siberia who sends us notes every once in a while. I'll read a little bit next Sunday or send out some emails to you guys. He wrote another one. and um, He uses that a lot. Make God famous. 44 verse 9. Uh, look at verse 1. O oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, the work that you did in their days, in the days of old. We heard about that. We heard that you were a God of fame. You with your own hand drove out the nations. Then you planted them. You afflicted the peoples all around them. Then you spread them abroad. For by their own sword they did not possess the land and their own arm did not save them. You're the one that just took over and brought them in. But your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence, for you favored them. We know about you. We know what you did. They didn't really do anything. God just more or less had them come in there. They were, you know, sure they had the battles, but the battle really is belongs to who? (laughs) Oh wow! But you look in verse nine. Yet you have rejected us and brought us to dishonor, and do not go out with our armies because. They had turned against Him. Here's all that God had done. And then there had to be a rejection. And He didn't go with them when they went to battle and then they lost their wars. But He knew of God's fame. I know what kind of God you are. I know that you have judged before. 
I know you are great. And then, of course, we know about his fear of God. And we mentioned Isaiah 6 5, where Isaiah replies back uh, in, as he sees the, this great vision. And he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. He just saw the holiness of God. I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. This is Isaiah. This is the prophet. This is a man of God. And he's saying he's a sinner. He saw the holiness of God. He recognized it. He was wounded. And I live among a people of unclean lips. It's not just talking about the way that they talked. It's talking about their whole lifestyle and the way that they lived. The moral depravity, the stench that was all around. He says, I live amongst this wickedness. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is the picture we are to get. Habakkuk was seeing that. Daniel prayed this kind of prayer also. Don't have enough time in Daniel 5. Look at that. He recognizes himself amongst the people of Israel. They're sinners. And he said, God forgive... You know, No, he says, we. He included himself in with Israel. And that was Daniel. And you know what? You can't even find... Not that he wasn't a sinner, but you can't find anything you can pick apart on Daniel. I mean, quite a godly man. Um, he closes it out. In the midst of the years, make it known. While you're doing your wrath, please remember your mercy. Don't destroy it all. Why? I know you're going to do this, but I'm pleading for the people. Like Moses pled for the people, there has to be people that stand in the gap. I think the church is the only thing that can stand, the people that can stand in the gap for this nation, for this world. The people. You pray. Look in Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. And we're about done here. <laughs> really, we're about done. <laughs> Ezra, Ezra, it's before the Psalms. Ezra, Nehemiah, Ezra. Now this is after Babylon come and judged, and and uh, past seventy years later, the people have gone into Jerusalem now, and there's a being a rebuild. Look at this in chapter nine, verse eight. This is incredible. But now, for a brief moment. Grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in His holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. Wow. That's what happened. God in His grace had a remnant and they recognized as they were coming back and then uh, setting up this. There was a prayer confession there, and they give God the glory, um, escape room, and and to give us a little bit of a, a peg in His place, in His holy place, um, a place of prominence. Just a little bit, a little bit for that remnant. So He pleads for mercy. Pleads for revival amongst the people. And there was, to a degree. To a degree. <laughs> God did it. We can look back historically and say that happened. 
God is doing it now. It's happening now. God is working a work. We don't see it. But the just shall live by faith. Looks like we probably have maybe one more section to deal with, whether it takes one week, two weeks, whatever. But uh, this is the greatest part, I think, of Habakkuk. And uh, just uh, showing the glory of the Lord and having a right view of God after it's all said and done. Habakkuk is very, I think, important 